0: When I was a kid, many moons ago, uh, I, was, I was really fascinated with the Iron Man. I would wake up Saturday mornings and I would typically go to the TV and do one or two things. I'd try to find WWF wrestling, right? Watch Hulk Hogan and Roddy Roddy Piper and all them. Or I would try to find the Iron Man race on TV. Now, you're probably familiar with what the Iron Man is. The Ironman is probably the most extreme of races that tests human limitations. It's like a triathlon, but to like a whole nother level. And so in an Ironman, uh, a a person who's competing, first of all, they begin with a 2.4-mile swim. And if you survive swimming that distance, uh, you, you leave the water, then you hop on a bike, and you bike for 112 miles. And if you make it that far, then you hop off the bike and then you run a full marathon, 26.2 miles. And if you cross the finish line, after all of that, you are an Iron Man or an Iron Woman. And so I was just fascinated by this. I'd watch these races. They always took place in rugged places in the world. And I admired these guys. And I really wanted to be an Iron Man. And as you can tell, it didn't work out so well If you've ever seen me running around the block, I maybe was not cut out for that. But I thought, yeah, that is like the ultimate um, kind of test of of, of a human being, right? Like that is the ultimate feat. That's the pinnacle of being a human, to be an Iron Man. But you know what? The, The Bible gives us a picture of an Iron Man too. And it gives us a very different picture than that. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17. It's probably a verse that you've heard before. Maybe you've committed to memory. It says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another person. So, yeah, well, those Ironman races are all about this individual feat, uh, what God says is to be an Ironman is it's not an individual pursuit, it's a team pursuit. It's a team pursuit. And this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to find that life, and certainly, especially the Christian life, is a communal effort. The Christian faith is a team sport. And we're continuing in our series this morning that we've called Disciples Dissected. Really, what we're doing over these four weeks is we're kind of looking at the anatomy of a disciple, of Jesus. What does it look like to be a disciple? What are those core parts and pieces that make up a disciple of Jesus. And to do this, we've been going to a chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 12, because this one chapter gives us, I think, maybe the best summary of what a disciple's life looks like. And a disciple, of course, just means to be like Jesus. Not to like Jesus, not to be a fan and admirer and cheer for Jesus, but to become like Jesus in our own attitudes and actions and values. This is our calling, to be disciples To be like Christ. And so Paul in Romans chapter 12, I invite you to open there if you have your Bible with you. Uh, he, He tells us about the four devotions of a disciple's life. And these four devotions correspond with the four key relationships that each and every one of us have. And so a couple of weeks ago when we began the series... We looked at the first two verses, that relationship with God that it describes there. And we found that a disciple is devoted, first of all, to worship. Devoted to worship, which means to give our whole lives, to surrender our whole lives without reservation, without outholding any part of it back, but giving it all to God to do whatever His purpose and will is for us in our life. To give our whole self to Him. That is true worship. And so the disciple, first of all, is devoted To worship last week, we saw that Paul went on in verses 3 to 8 to talk about our relationship with ourselves, to get to know the real you and that God has designed you the way you are and He's given each of us gifts, unique gifts, that if we use those gifts, if we play the part that God created each of us to play, we will lead the most satisfying, significant life we could possibly lead. And so we found last week that the disciple, secondly, is devoted to service, to use the gifts that God has given them to serve Him and to serve others. And this morning, we're going to look at the third devotion in every disciple's life. And Paul's going to talk about another relationship here in verses 9 to 16. He's going to talk about our relationship with one another, that is, in the family of God, in the church. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 12, let me read verses 9 through 16. and bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, and rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, and do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. So in those few verses, Paul kind of goes through these like, these popcorn commands really quick, but if you look at all of them, they all describe the ways that we are to relate to one another in the context of the family of God, in the context of the church. And so what we're going to find this morning is that the third devotion in the life of every disciple is devotion to community, devotion to community, to Christian fellowship. That's what he uses there in verse 10. He says, be devoted to one another in love. When he says one another, he's talking about the family of God. He's talking about us. Here. Be devoted to one another. Devoted. I don't need to tell you what that word means. You know to be all in, to be doggedly committed to something or someone. We're to be committed to one another in Philadelphia. That Greek word there, brotherly love, is Philadelphia, maybe that, you know, you probably knew that the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, because that's the Greek word for brotherly love. What Paul is saying is that we are to be committed to one another as if we were related, as if we were blood relatives. That sort of devotion we are to offer to one another in the context of Christian community, because we were created for community. I mean, if you go back to the very beginning when at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, it describes God's creation and his design for the world he made and us as human beings. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, uh, This is God speaking. He says, The Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Like loneliness, isolation from others is not good. And you know, s- studies and research, science has Proven all of the negative effects that come with loneliness and social isolation. I mean, there's just so many of them. A study's found that you will sleep seven percent less efficiently if you are socially isolated. You don't get as good sleep. Your, your blood pressure increases, it increases your chance of heart disease, it in, increases the rate of addiction and marital breakdown, it increases the rate of Depression, when you experience loneliness, which is this kind of subjective feeling, and then self-isolation, which is this, this objective lack of social interaction with others. And that was all done before COVID, that study. In fact, a researcher said before COVID that uh, social isolation is a behavioral epidemic in our world and especially in our society here In the West. And again, that was before COVID. How much worse has COVID made social isolation? It is not good for man to be alone. Now, we're not going to debate that. I don't know about you, but we, we normally read that and go, he's talking about men, you need wives. He's talking about marriage here. Except he's not really talking about marriage. That's one important aspect of community that God calls many, maybe most of us into. But Paul, who wrote these words... In Romans 12, he wasn't married, and Jesus, he wasn't a married man. They were no less created and in need of community than the rest of us. So this isn't a verse about how a man needs a wife to cook his food, to do the dishes, to rub his feet, although a woman, a wife should do all of those things, right? I mean, that's not even up for debate, is it? I'm glad this doesn't go online. This one goes online? Oh, I thought it was the first service that. It's the second service. Well, I apologize to all of you at home there whom I've offended, all you, all you women out there. Uh, hopefully, you know I'm just kind of speaking tongue-in-cheek here um, God said, It's not good for a man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. And if you think that's some sort of like kind of subjective role, that word, maybe everywhere else, certainly most everywhere else in the Old Testament, refers to God as the helper. So the help he's talking about is and Adam needs a wife so they can make babies and carry on the human race. Okay. It's talking about something way deeper than that. It's talking about how God has wired us. He's created us to need others to help us fulfill the purposes for which God created us. That we will never become the people God created and called us to be. We will never fulfill His purposes for us if we are alone. If we are isolated, we can't do it. We need companions. We need helpers. And so the the author of Ecclesiastes said, two is better than one. Again, he's not talking about a husband and a wife there, primarily. He's talking about community, companionship. If one falls, the other can help him up. But pity the man who has no one to help him up. We're created for community. Jesus modeled community in his own life. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, and all the Gospels, really, but you see this most clearly in the Gospel of Luke, after Jesus enters ministry, he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness, he's tested, he comes out of there, and he begins the ministry of proclaiming the good news. And right away we find in Luke chapter six that one night he goes up into the hillside to pray. It doesn't tell us what he prayed, but I think we can kind of read between the lines, because the next morning, after he spends this night praying to his Father, he comes, and it says, he chooses his 12 disciples to come and be with him. I think what Jesus was praying about is like, God, who do you want me to invite into my life? Like, I've gathered this crowd, this set of kind of superficial relationships. Who do you want me to invite into the inner circle so that we can do community together? For whose sake? Well, for their sake, certainly... But not just for their sake, the sake of those that Jesus did life with. For his own sake, he knew that he needed community, which is why in the Garden of Gethsemane, that lowest point before he went to the cross, he invited those three guys, his guys, Peter, James, and John, to come with him because it says he was deeply distressed and troubled. And he invited them to come and he said, Would you watch with me and you, would you pray with me? I need you. Now, this is the Son of God. If the Son of God needed community in others, how much more us? Interestingly, he invited those same three guys to the top, to the pinnacle, right? To the Mount of Transfiguration, when more than he ever had before, he peeled back kind of the exterior to, to give them a sense of who he really was, the real Jesus, the glory He shared that with others. He shared his life with others. So we're created for community. Jesus modeled community. And in fact, his final instruction before he died, we see it in John chapter 13. This is right after they had the Last Supper, that that communion meal, which we're going to celebrate, we're going to take in a few minutes' time. And Jesus is now going to give his final instruction because he knows he's leaving in the next 24 hours. And what does he say? What would you say? If like, you're on your deathbed and you call your kids... Those you love most to your side, son, come here, come, I have something to say. Did you watch that Jets game last night? <laughs> Wasn't that amazing, Shifley three goals? No, right? you share those things that are kind of, well, hopefully not. You share those things that are, that are deep, that are, that are of ultimate importance and worth. And so, this is what Jesus is doing here when he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. In other words, these are my final words. You will look for me, and just as I told you, so I, the Jews, I will tell you now where, where I am going, you cannot come. But now, a new command I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you get what he's saying there? Love one another, not like the world loves, like I have loved, just as I gave my life to you and, and invited you into my life. And we shared the highs and the lows and we carried burdens together. You're to love one another in that way. What Jesus is saying there is essentially disciples are devoted to community. But what does that look like? And I want to go back to that Iron Man verse, right? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I'm not a blacksmith, but I think I kind of understand how iron sharpens iron. And as I was thinking about this, really, the three things need to be true for iron to sharpen iron. And I think if we understand what those three things are, we'll understand in what way one person is to sharpen another person. So how does iron sharpen iron? As I was thinking about this, really what it requires is it requires close contact. It requires deliberate contact. And it requires continual contact. If you have those three, then iron will sharpen iron. If you don't have all three, then nothing gets sharpened. And so what does that look like in the context of Christian community? Well, the first thing it means is that Christian community is close community. Close community. Let me bring this up here. Now, if you've been around the church a while, a few years ago, I I, I did bring up these knives, and uh, I've done this illustration before, but I read somewhere that you only remember sermons for about three years, and then they start to fade, so... (laughs) Or just wait, or was it Wednesday? Maybe it was Wednesday. (laughs) I threw them? Did I throw it at you? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I love you way too much for that alright as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another well the first thing you need is you need close contact like I can do this all day long right I could have a bunch of knives waving around here and nothing is actually going to change because it's too far apart right I mean aren't, can't our lives just be full of acquaintances full of friends. And, and, and really what that looks like is, you know, conversations at the water cooler. Hey, Jim, what do you do the weekend? Oh, I went up to Hecla with the family. Hecla we love to go up to Hecla Oh, yeah, well, you have a great weekend, Jim. You too. Thanks, buddy. Move on. All right? Water cooler conversations, church foyer conversations maybe are not a lot different. I mean, I don't want to make your church foyer conversations weird after this. What I'm saying is church foyer conversations all on their own are not close contact they're this, right? But how does iron sharpen iron? They have to touch. Right? It has to be close. It has to be intimate. And so Christian community that sharpens us is intimate. It is a sharing of the real you. And I think this is what Paul is getting at in Romans 12, 9, when he says, love must be sincere. That word sincere literally means that which is not, hypocr- like not hypocritical, right? It's not being one way but then presenting another way because we can do that, can't we? We can wear masks. Have you ever worn a mask around other people? <laughs> When's the last time you wore a mask around somebody else? My teenage daughter, they did Bible study this last week here, the church that started up, which is awesome, and it comes with a devotional guide. We were doing day one of devotions, and the questions at the end of devotions was talking about how we can sometimes wear masks. What masks do we wear on other people? Uh, This is definitely written before COVID, (laughs) this whole devotional guide. But uh, you know what I'm talking about? We can be good at wearing masks, right? Not really sharing the real, sharing the superficial. How you doing? Doing good. Okay. This last week, or two weekends ago, actually, I was out in the foyer, and just my customary, as I'm kind of walking by, hey, how's it going? And the person looked at me and said, lousy. And so I just kept going, because I don't want to deal with that. (laughs) The football game starts at noon. Whoa, I'm used to people saying, pretty good, lousy. Well, I'm glad he did. I mean, we, had a, we met for coffee that, that week, and we had a great conversation, and I, I hope it was a help for this individual. But we're so accustomed just to kind of wearing the mask, not sharing the real you. But, but we need to have a place. We need to have people with which we can share the real person. The real person. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because insincerity is a threat to Christian community true Christian community is marked by honesty and authenticity. We need authentic relationships with who we can share those highs and those lows, right? Isn't that what Paul said a few verses later? Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You need to be in relationship with one another such that you are sharing the joys and sharing the sorrows because we need that in life. On both ends. Have you ever had a joy that you really needed to share, but you had no one to tell? Doesn't that suck? It hurts. It actually deadens your joy when you can't share it. This is the way God is. When my child was born, I was so excited. What did I want to do? I need to call so-and-so. And And then I need to call so-and-so. And as I was sharing with him the good news, the joy increased. But if I can't do that, if I can't share, it actually injures my joy. It deadens my joy. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And the opposite happens when we share our sorrows. They're not multiplied as joys are multiplied. They're they're actually divided. They get smaller when we have other people with whom we can share our struggles, share our sin, share our sadness, and they too along with us can carry that burden. That only happens though when we can have a a place and people with whom we can have close contact, share the real you. Love must be sincere. Do you have that? Do you have people with whom you can share the real you, with whom you can be sincere? Are you the sort of person that other people can be that too? That other people can open up to? I've heard it said, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact people up close. It always stuck with me. You can impress people from a distance, but you can only impact people up close in intimate relationships so that, so what does it look like to be an iron man to have first of all to have close community where you can share the real you and they can share the real them and the second second aspect of a christian community is this christian community is a deliberate community deliberate now the word deliberate means something that is thoughtful and intentional. Like when you deliberate on something, they deliberated, it meant like they 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 gave their attention and intentionality and and care to this. To be deliberate, thoughtful and intentional. You know, not all close contact is deliberate contact, right? I mean, just not all count contact makes you sharper, does it? My wife is shaking her head. She's like, those are my kitchen knives. And what's happening? They're getting duller. But we're close. Yeah, you're close, but you're getting duller. Not all close contact sharpens. Only deliberate contact sharpens. I think what that means is that Christian community is... is, purposeful. It has a certain purpose to it. Maybe you find yourself in a, a circle, whether you're adults or maybe some of you teenagers. You know, circles of friends in school or wherever. I would, the question we have to ask ourselves is our, does our community sharpen us or make us dull? Does it make us dull? Well, What does it mean to be sharpened? It means to become more. What does it mean when a knife is sharpened? A knife is made to cut. A sharper knife is better than a duller knife because a knife is made to cut and you were made to know and follow God. So to be sharpened is to, be, to become more and more like Jesus, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, to do God's will in your life. That's the purpose for which you were made. That's the purpose of Christian community, to help another grow more conformed to the likeness of Jesus in their life. And that's what it means to receive community, to allow yourself, to allow others to come and speak into your life for that purpose because Christian community is one of God's primary ways for shaping your life, to making you more like Christ, more like the person God created you to be. Christian community is made one of, certainly one of God's primary ways in doing that. And I think that's what Paul gets at when he says in verse 9 again, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil means like be horrified at the things that horrify God. Be horrified at the things that harm a person, of evil and sin. And it might be kind of surprising to hear a verse that commands you both to love and to hate But what he's saying is to love rightly, you also have to hate rightly. Because if you love without hating anything, you're not truly loving in a Christ-like way. You're loving in the worldly way, right? I mean, there's this veneer of love in the world that's really not love at all. It's like this culture of niceness. You do you. Is that what you want? Well, I'll encourage you. I'll affirm you. Now leave your husband, or whatever it is. Like, my role is to help you self-actualize all of your desires and wants. That's not Christian love. Christian love is willing to have the courage, right, to speak into somebody's life and say something that might be tough. And you and it's a way you might even risk. The relationship in some sense. But it's motivated by a desire to see this. It's motivated by a hatred hatred of the thing that hurts that person. And so close community is this deliberate community where we, we, just, we don't just open ourselves up to one another. It's once we open ourselves up, then we play this role in one another's lives to encourage one another and, and to maybe speak some challenge into an area where there needs to be challenged and to hold one another accountable to the things that they've said they need to do or that God calls them to do because disobeying God's will is always bad for the person that you love. And therefore love, true love, Christian love, is concerned with the truth. It's what Paul is saying here when he says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. I think what he's saying is that we need to love each other enough in close community, not drive-by shootings. Hey, I only know your first name, but let me tell you how to live your life. No, it's like people, you can build this trust, this closeness. Paul is saying we're to love each other enough to address the problems in ourselves and address the problems in others, to seek accountability and to provide accountability because we all need that. To grow, to become the people that God has called us to be. You know, I've become convinced that true change rarely happens without that sort of community. Without that intentional support of another person or another small group of people. And, 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 and it's hard for me to admit that. I would like to think that if you all just corralled into this room and you heard a great message... And you were inspired, and God even spoke to you through His Word or something that was said, or and you went to the Bible class in the weekend, and the teacher said something, and then God's Word said something that did the same. I would like to think that that would be enough for you to go and apply that in your life and actually change to grow. But I've come to understand it doesn't work that way. No, no, what I need is when Rusty comes to church and hears a good message oh, man, man, God hit me hard today. Like I really just felt God say, Rusty, you're being too hard on your son. You know, you're just, you're, you're not encouraging enough. You're kind of exasperating them. You need to be more encouraging. Okay, I, that's what I'm going home with, right? If you don't have somebody that you can go and share that with and a circle where you are confiding that in someone and then they're going, hey, Rusty, you said this. How's that going? Are you doing that? Well, can I, how can I help you do that? Unless you don't have that follow-up I've come to see nothing really changes because that's what we need. That's the way that God has designed us. That transformation happens in deliberate community because it provides the encouragement, the challenge, and the accountability that we all need to grow and get the best out of life. And that isn't always easy or pleasant because sharpening involves friction, doesn't it? But what a good thing it is to have people in your life, close enough, who care enough, to encourage you, to spur you on in your growth to become more like Christ. We grow in deliberate community, in intentional community. So is your community, is your close community, if you have it, is it sharpening you? Does that happen? Or is it making you dull? And I say that to all of you, young and old, teenagers, teenagers Kids, this community is something. Britta and Annika, teenage they can start developing young, right from the very beginning. They can develop this community. And as parents, part of our job is to help our children develop that community. All right. Thirdly, how does iron sharpen iron? Well, I said it it, close contact, deliberate contact, and continual contact. So, my third point is Christian community um, is continual community. Because, you know what? a knife doesn't get sharp by doing that. Put this back. Sharp. I don't know. Got to do it. And then I got to do it again. And then that's going to chop up some carrots and some onions. And it's going to go through life. It's going to get banged up. And it's going to get dull again. And then it needs to come. And it needs to happen again. That's what it takes to get sharp, right? It's not just close contact and deliberate. It's done in such a way that it's ongoing. I think that's no different for Christian community. This is, I think that's what Paul is getting at in the next verses. Romans 12, verse 11 and 12, when he says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. If you look at all the words he uses there, um, never be lacking in zeal. In other words, like keep persevering. Keep persevering. Hope, patience, faithful, they're all words that kind of speak to people who are feeling maybe like they're ready to give up. They're ready to give up. They're all words that suggest you need to keep going in your love, in your devotion. Keep going Persevere because relationship, community is an investment. And like any good investment, it pays a dividend in time. But it always takes time. Investments that bring in a, that promise an immediate return, do you know what those investments are called? Dividend. <laughs> uh, yes, you're probably like a financial... I don't even know what the word dividend means, to be honest. Well... I'll share my own experience. Years ago, and I told you last week that uh, you, you should never take money advice from Rusty. So let me share, you know, I maybe shared this story before. Years ago, um, I heard of this great opportunity with this great return, 2% a day. <gasps> Who would say no to 2% a day? And, even, and the country's based in Indonesia. What could go wrong? <laughs> yep, got suckered, got a scam. You know what drew me in? A promise of immediate return. And so I watched online as the number got bigger every day. Two percent? You know, quickly that grows and multiplies until it wasn't there anymore. Until I realized this is all just a pyramid scheme and Rusty's lost it all. That's not how investment works. Right? A good investment brings a return, but it brings a return with time. It requires patience and faithfulness because easy money is usually a scam and it's no different in Christian community. Christian community requires, Paul says, patience, faithfulness, perseverance. It takes time to cultivate. There will be a harvest. There will be return in time, but it takes time to cultivate. There's no such thing as instant community. It's work. And something I've noticed over the years is that people often give up too soon because they think it's supposed to bear fruit right away. But that's not how community works. People either give up too soon or they wait too long till they seek it. Ah, life's good. I'm good. I don't need it. I'm okay. I have everything I need. I come to church and then I go and everything seems to be good. Loving Jesus, life's good. Until it's not. And this is what I've found at that point when someone hits a crisis and it's not, then they look for that sort of support, but it's not there because they didn't build it. You know, it would be easy to say, I'm sure some people need exactly what you're talking about, Rusty, exactly what Paul's talking about here. But I think I'm all right. We need to build it before we feel we need it. There's a statement that I heard and I've never forgotten. It goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You ever heard of that? I like that. If you want to go fast in life, and we live in a fast-paced life, if you want to go fast in life, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I want to go far. I want us as a church to go far. What do you want? What do you want? Paul closes that section in verse 16 when he says, don't be proud, we're willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited, which is a way of saying, don't lead, don't lead a selfish life, right? Don't think you don't need this, don't be proud, you do need it. You need others and other people need you. You need community and other people need you for community. You can make a difference. Each and every one of you, through relationship, you can make an impact. But it's an investment. But disciples are willing to make the investment. Disciples are devoted to community. They build community that's close, it's deliberate, and it's continual. You know, COVID has probably taught us a lot of things. One of the things it's taught us as a church is that We ought not to rely on a building and a set of programs to be the church. Church at its essence is not that. Church at its essence is this sort of relationship. Purposeful spiritual relationship. And that's something that no pandemic, nothing can take away from us. Stop us. Keep us from. And so maybe COVID has shown you in your own life or us in the life of the church that maybe we need to work harder at building, at being devoted to community. Maybe COVID has caused you to shrink back a little bit. You know, it's kind of interrupted the rhythms of life. It's interrupted relationships. You know, it's maybe caused you to shrink back a little bit, more hesitant to engage, more hesitant to interact. You need to resist that. You need to not give in to that for all the reasons I listed at the beginning about the effects of social isolation, let alone the spiritual effects. But I notice it in myself, it's easier just to stay within my shell. Maybe we've kind of become accustomed to that over the last little while, and we need to muster some new resolve and some courage to seek and build Christian community, but it's worth it, it's worth it. So um, there's this verse, put it up on the screen there, uh, Rob, but if there's one verse that's been quoted through the year and a half of COVID in the church circle more than any other, it's probably this one, you know, you'll, you'll hear it in a moment. This is Hebrews 10, it says, "'Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful.'" And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. You heard that one? As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I've heard that quoted so many times. We need to be together. We need to, the church doors need to be open. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. But you know, what? he's not really talking about what's happening right now. He's not talking about a church service, primarily, I don't think. This is one aspect of he's talking about community. He's talking about spiritual relationships. Do not give up on the holy habit of being in spiritual community in these relationships. That's what you need to spur you on, to be encouraged, to continue. So this is the question each of us need to ask ourselves. And I offer it to you. Will you be committed to do the work that's necessary to muster the courage to cultivate Christian community going forward if you lack it or to persevere in it maybe if you already have good community. Will you devote the time and energy that's required because it takes time and it takes energy but there is a return in your life and in the life of others and we're kind of at this you've heard of the great reset I don't know anything about the great reset that idea out there I don't know but we we do have a this is a bit of a time of reset in our lives and in our church. It's a time of new. And now's a great time to be thinking about how we will apportion our time and energy. Will we use it to cultivate this community? Now one of the ways that we do that, one of the key ways at New Life Church is through life groups. And now this is often the Sunday where it's like a life group Sunday, and these are not normal times. And some groups have continued and some have kind of fizzled and some may disband and people may go their other ways to find other homes and other people come into the life of the church and they're desperately looking for community. I was at the church barbecue two weeks ago. There was a couple that had been a part of this church for a long time but hadn't really maybe since the beginning of the pandemic been here and they came to the barbecue because they were so looking forward to connect with their church until they discovered that their church wasn't their church. Have you had this feeling? You come in here and you go, who are these people? Maybe some of the people from the past aren't there. And then there's all these new faces. And so this couple, I mean, they're, they're just being, they weren't saying that was bad. It's great that so many new people, but I just want to tell you, Pastor, just to be honest, it, it's, I, I find it unsettling. I came here and it doesn't feel like my church. I've heard that from a few people. This is a time of new we could be discouraged by that, or we could see the opportunity and embrace the new. And, and I just want to encourage you to embrace the new. In this new season, be devoted to community. And again, if, if life group, the, these, these small groups of people that meet together in, in homes once a week, once every two weeks, if that's something that you uh, want to consider or explore, We'd love to help situate you, help you build that community, whether you've been around a long time and whether you've done that in the past but lack that now or whether you're new and you just sense you need that sort of community. Uh, We want to help you build that. Um, Now with Darren stepping out here uh, of of the life of the church, that being one of his key roles, Neil Greaves graciously, again, has stepped into the gap, not only willing but eager to help uh, organize and coordinate and support our life group ministry. So Neil Greaves is going to be out in the foyer afterwards. You'll see a little sign at the Welcome Center. If you have any questions or any interest in, in life groups, would you please go see him after the service? Or you can go online, and there's a way of, of kind of expressing interest on our on our website by registering that interest or calling the office. But let us help you build that community. That's what we're all about. So are you devoted to community as a disciple of Jesus? Is that true of you, would you say? You are devoted to community. How are you working to build that in your life? Those are the questions I want to take with you. I want you to take with you. Um, But now we get to do something special which I think is a great way to kind of bring this message to a close, and that's to take communion together. Hopefully you got one of these on your way, and if not, if you would just raise your hand and usher, we'll bring you one. You know, I don't know about you, but um, I used to think of communion as a very individual... Oh, there's some up here. I used to think of communion as a very individualistic act. Like, we all do it in the, in the same room, but it's, it's kind of, it's, it's an act between me and God, but it, it, it might surprise you to, did you know that the first church did not take communion with these little cups? Did you know that? Pre-made wafers from China? They didn't even pass plates. You know what communion was in the first church? It was a meal, right? It was a cup and a loaf of bread, but it was a meal. It was a potluck. Everyone came together, and you know what it was called? It was called the love feast. And it wasn't just about you and God. It was about you, God, and community. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, when it gives us the, the biggest instruction about communion, there was a problem in that church. The problem was some people were taking communion, the privileged people were taking communion before the unprivileged poor and slaves who had to work late in the evening got to the church service before they got to the meal. Those privileged Christians had already ate all the food and drank it all. And that's what Paul meant when he says, be careful that you don't eat and drink in an unworthy manner. Or you might drink judgment upon yourself as a kid. I thought that meant, oh, Rusty, make sure that you don't have any sin in your heart before you put that wafer in your mouth, because if you're not completely clean in your heart and you take part in communion, God's going to judge you. No. That's not what Paul's saying at all. He's saying, recognize that when you eat this, this is all about being one body in Jesus Christ. This is all about being devoted to one another in love. Eat it in such a way that you are recognizing that. Don't be exclusionary. In the way that you do this. Don't segregate any groups of people. Does this sound kind of familiar? Don't segregate, exclude anyone from the fellowship for any reason, the unprivileged versus the privileged. You might infer that Rusty might be saying something a little bit about church life and vaccination status. And hmm, I'll, leave, I'll leave it up to you to read between the lines. But that's what this is. This is a way of saying we are devoted to one another because we are devoted to God. And so we want to eat it with that in mind and drink it with that in mind. So if you would take that wafer and and before we eat it together, can I just invite you to take a moment and just to thank God yourself in prayer, just thank God that through His Son Jesus you have been adopted into His family. That He has welcomed you into his life and given you his life and he has come into your life and you have communion with God through Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Just take a moment to marvel at that again and to thank God. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Remember me every time you eat of it together. Let's remember. As you pull that... um, lit off of your drink, I want to invite you into another moment of prayer. And this time, I want you to ask something of God. Well, first of all, why don't you express to God that, um, that you want to be devoted to community. That's your desire. And ask God to, to show you what it would look like for you to cultivate that community in your life. Ask Him to show you and ask Him to give you the courage that's necessary to be devoted to that. Just take a moment and ask God. Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Remember me every time you drink of it together. Let's remember. I'll invite the team to come and lead us in one final song. Uh, before. We are we are free to go and enjoy. Um, I think there might be cinnamon buns still out there, some coffee, enjoy fellowship. If you want to hear more about life groups, go and speak with Neil. Find Neil at the Welcome Center. A reminder for those that want to attend Pete Craker's memorial at Rockwood Cemetery, a few miles south of here. That uh, that memorial service starts at 12:45 here in about a half hour's time. Would you stand together with us up here? And let's just pray. Let's offer ourselves to God before we um, sing one final song of worship. Father God, we thank you that through your son, Jesus, we can actually call you Father. How, How incredible that is that we can be your sons and your daughters. We can belong to you. We can have eternal life with you. And we can know that you're in our life and you care for us and you provide for us, and you help us, and I thank you, God, for the communion that we have with you, that we can know that we are never alone. You are always with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. We thank you, God, for that community we have with you, and as we just, we go from here back into our lives, I pray that you would just continue to speak to each and every one of us, to show us what it looks like in our lives, in our schedules, Lord, to be devoted to community. Lord, would you just show us what those next steps are in each of our lives and just give us the courage and all that we need to continue to build that, God, for our good and for the good of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.